Actually, before I get started with the message this morning, I want to share something with you guys that I think will be an encouragement. Um, Twelve days from today, we have a group from our church that will land in Haiti, where they will be serving as missionaries for about nine days. And we are so excited about that coming up. It is going to be an incredible blessing. And a part of the excitement comes with what I'm about to share with you guys. Uh, I received word that uh, based on uh, the the money that has been promised and given already, our trip is paid for, uh, for this trip. So thank you for your generosity to help make that possible. Uh, with that being said, they have sent me an email with a list of supplies that... Uh, they would really love for us to bring. And you guys will get that in a midweek email that will go out later this week. Uh, We're just trying to be as useful as possible to them while we're there. Um, One request that came in, and this I don't know if this actually made an official list, uh, but the missionary that sent me that email, uh, he actually said that his wife was requesting peppermint patties. I don't know that that's an official request, um, but I would love it if we could bring at least a box of peppermint patties for for the uh, missionary's wife. So it is a blessing to be able to worship with you guys, to be able to share God's goodness and grace and to be able to specifically celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is really what this whole season is about. Often when we think of Easter, we think of a time of crucifixion, a time of sacrifice, a time of death, when in reality, those were all things that simply led to the resurrection, which is what gives us our hope. Jesus Christ has been resurrected, and because of that, today we have the promise of eternal life. There is a song that has been on the radio for some time, and it's entitled, If We Are the Body, and it's done by a group called Casting Crowns. I want you to listen to the chorus for a moment, remembering that we believe not only in the crucifixion, but also the resurrection, the power of Jesus Christ. This is what it says. But if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we are the body... Why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them there is a way? At times, I legitimately wonder where the power of Christ has gone in our society. This seems like an odd statement, especially as I've just talked about the resurrection and the power that is in the resurrection over the past couple weeks. Uh, I have been very intentional to share that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is available to the church today. I've posed the question repeatedly regarding whether God still has the ability to change lives, to redeem the lost, to heal the sick, and to even transform our world. So what do I mean when I ask, where has the power of Christ gone? To answer that question, let me first confirm what I've been saying over these past few weeks. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is still available to the world around us. The same power that transformed a world 2,000 years ago is still available to transform this world today. It's the same power that Peter and Paul were able to share in But then I wonder, since we know this to be true, that the power and the authority of Christ has already been established, why is it that we don't see more things happening in the body of Christ today? 
Why don't we see more physical miracles? Why don't we see more people being freed from addiction? Why don't we see more marriages restored? Why don't we see people lined up outside the church building on Sunday mornings waiting for the doors to open so they could make sure they got a good seat? I'm not a big Black Friday shopper. However, there have been occasions that I have been to Best Buy on Black Friday. And when you go to Best Buy on Black Friday, you better get there early. Typically, they open up around midnight. But it doesn't mean that people show up at midnight. In fact, I was reading an article this week talking about an individual who each year he goes to Black Friday with the hope of saving 100 maybe at the most $200. And what he'll do is he'll camp out in front of the Best Buy about a week before Black Friday. That is dedication. That's somebody who wants to save that $100. Forget the fact that he gave up work for a week, which saved actually his employer several hundred dollars. But the point is that this man is so excited about the potential of getting maybe $100 worth of savings that he would be so excited he would go out there and camp to make sure he could be in line. Can you imagine if people were that excited about being in church? Well, the good news is that Jesus Christ is still uniquely able to call people unto him. But it may require something from each of us. I want to start by considering what Jesus brings to the table. Think of the best communicator that you've ever heard in your life. That person who wows you with their words, they speak and you think, oh man, that was wonderful. I remember we had a guy in our, um, uh, our master's program, there was a guy in our group who had this really deep voice and it was, it was just so smooth sounding. You just wanted to give him a phone book so he could read it to you because it was just, it was that amazing to be able to hear this guy speak. It might be a politician, might be a preacher maybe a professor or some type of teacher. Now I want you to think of the most loving person that you've ever met in your life. Someone who makes everyone feel encouraged. Like even if they come in and they're broken, by the time they're done, you feel like, man, this is, this is home. I feel good. Someone who knows how to show love to all kinds of people and who naturally reaches out to those who are in need might be a grandparent or maybe a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's some other family member, but probably not a politician. That's typically not what we think of. Now think of the most powerful person that you know. A person with unbelievable strength who could put everyone else to shame. Maybe, maybe in a position of authority. Maybe even just someone who likes to go to the gym and they are just monsters and I say monsters as in really strong and big. It may be an athlete or a bodybuilder. Maybe you would look at maybe even a family member. It's likely that as you consider those three people, the one who speaks so clearly, the one who loves so passionately, the one that is so strong, it is unlikely that as you thought of those people, that you thought of one individual who could fill all three of those roles. You know, Jesus is the only person who has embodied all three of those characteristics perfectly and fully. Jesus lived with a phenomenal ability to speak. 
an incredible compassion for others and a powerful authority about him which no one else had. Jesus' three characteristics are his offices of prophet, priest, and king. And when we read about Jesus performing miracles in the gospel, we encounter awesome displays of all three of these offices. And I want to look at just three particular examples of that this morning. The first one is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And it's a somewhat familiar passage to us. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read just this one section for you today from the contemporary English version. And I want you to know why. I got a new Bible this week, and I just want to be able to try it out. So anyways, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I do encourage you, by the way, if you have it in a different version, please read along in your version because in reality, it will probably help us to understand what the original authors were saying just a little bit better. This is what it says. That evening, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the east side. So they left the crowd and his disciples started across the lake with him in the boat. Some other boats followed along, and suddenly a windstorm struck the lake. Waves started splashing into the boat, and it was about to sink. Jesus was in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow, and he was asleep. His disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? Jesus got up and ordered the wind and the waves to be quiet. The wind stopped, and everything was calm. Jesus asked his disciples, why were you afraid? Don't you have any faith? Now they were more afraid than ever and said to each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. After several long days of ministry with people being healed, religious leaders questioning Jesus, already beginning to try to set traps for him. And huge crowds that would gather to experience his healing or to hear his preaching. Jesus wanted to go to the other side of the lake. I don't know that it was really to get away from everyone else, but rather when he gets to the other side, there will be ministry that needs to be done there. But Jesus wants to get to the other side of the lake. While the disciples were taking him across on a boat, a huge storm arises. It sneaks up on these experienced fishermen who probably spent much of their lives in a boat and it wasn't unusual to be in a storm, but this storm was apparently pretty significant. They felt like they were about to die. Jesus, though, is napping. And this version says in the back of the boat, if you go in the NIV or the King James, we're told that basically below and down in a lower level of the boat. Jesus is napping, so his disciples, and you can kind of picture it, in a panic, they frantically wake him up saying, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? Can you, can you hear the passion that they likely would have spoken with? The fear that would have consumed them? Well, he gets up and he basically simply speaks to the wind, commanding peace, be still. Then he rebuked his disciples for their fear and their lack of faith. It is interesting the way he words this with his uh, address to them Do you have any faith at all? Consider what they had already seen. Now, I know that in the the days that would follow, they would see incredible miracles. They would see 
Jesus feed thousands of people with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. They would see people raised from the dead. They would see people with incredible illnesses that would be healed. They would see spirits that would be cast out. But you know what? Jesus had already started doing some of those things. So as he addresses them here, he doesn't necessarily just say, oh, you have little faith. But it's more of a question, do you even have faith at all? I wonder at times how I would answer that question because I know that God has done great things in my life and even what I've seen in other people. But it seems so easy for me to forget how good and faithful he's been. So he asks them basically, do you really have any faith at all? Notice what Jesus has done. Jesus simply spoke and a miracle took place. Jesus performed this miracle specifically as a prophet of God. The role of a prophet was to speak the word of God to the people or to whomever. Many prophets had come before him and they spoke and things happened, but none came with the powerful words that could calm the storm. You see, Jesus fully embodied the role of a prophet as he proclaimed the word of God and immediately change took place. You know, there's a part of me that is somewhat jealous of the wind in this story. Jesus spoke and the wind had no choice but to obey Jesus's command. Although I am grateful for the free will that God has given to each of us, it is also a very dangerous thing. The unfortunate reality is that many will choose disobedience when God speaks or commands us. And the foolishness of this is that God's way is always the best way. So we know we'd be better off with obedience. But there's a part of me that wishes God never even gave me the choice. Because I know, unfortunately, there have been many times that I've chosen disobedience only to be filled with regret. I wonder, how do you respond to Jesus' words to you? When you hear a sermon or you spend time personally in God's word, do you obey the message of God's word? As the son of God, he spoke the word of God. Will you also be a prophet like Jesus, bringing God's God's word to the world around you? Understand that there are two roles that we play in this. Number one, we must respond to the prophetic word of God. But we also then are invited to prophetically bring the word of God to the world around us. There are people in your life that you experience every single day and they need someone who will bring the word of God to them. Someone who will offer them hope and grace and peace. And to tell you the truth, although our world may offer a substitute for that, it is only a substitute. You see, the peace our world offers is a temporary peace. But Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone has offered us a peace that passes all understanding. He is the one who can make our lives complete. The world around us, they may offer us redemptive things, but only Jesus Christ can offer us redemption. 
You have the privilege of becoming the prophetic voice of God, bringing God's word to the world around you. How will you respond when that opportunity is placed in front of you? A second example of Jesus' miracle-working power occurs in Mark chapter 2. And I'm not going to read this one because I actually referenced it last Sunday, but I do want to talk about it for a minute. Jesus was such an amazing prophet that people would crowd into a small house to hear him teach. Last week, I told you the story of four men who brought their friend, their paralytic friend, to Jesus. But they couldn't get into the house. And as they approached, they thought to themselves, well, at least we tried. Actually, no, they didn't. Instead, they decided, we brought him this far. We're going to get him the rest of the way. So they go up on top of the roof and they begin to tear a hole in the roof. And then they lower their friend down on a mat. And as they lower their friend down on a mat, Jesus looks at their friend. He looks at their faith. And what Jesus basically does as he is going to heal him of paralysis, he also heals him of a greater problem, and that's his sin problem. What Jesus does is Jesus performs the role not just of a physician, but the role of a priest. You see, it was one thing for him to serve as a physician, and probably everyone would have loved that. In fact, many came just to see the miraculous works that Jesus was doing. Jesus would approach a town, and people would bring their crowds of sick. So when Jesus got there, it typically wasn't just one or two individuals that were there waiting for a healing, but there would be a mass of people that were there. And what would happen is Jesus often displayed his role as physician. But a physician is not adequate to heal the soul. In addition, many priests had come before him, but none came with the perfect compassion, the immaculate love, and the divine ability to forgive sins like Jesus had. He looks on sinners with eyes of mercy, and he grants them his great grace. He is the perfect example of a priest. He is our priest. In fact, in fact, perhaps the greatest image of compassion with Jesus' healing miracles is seen when he would reach out and touch those who were sick, those who had various infirmities, those who were considered contagiously unclean They stood before Jesus, and in most cases, he would reach out and lovingly, compassionately touch them. It may not seem like a big deal, but imagine for a moment that nobody else wants to touch you. Because of the filth and the sin that is present, can you imagine how different it felt when Jesus would reach out and lay his hand on those who were unclean. You know, at times, I wonder if maybe we can relate to the sick of Jesus' day more clearly than we like to admit. You know, the filth of sin can be so disgusting that we would try to hide it to keep everyone else from knowing that it was ever real. And part of the reason is because if people knew how filthy we were, 
There's almost this idea that they wouldn't want anything to do with us. But Jesus didn't simply tell them, go, you're clean. There were occasions he did that, by the way. But Jesus most often would reach out and touch them. He would take mud, spit in it, rub it together, and then he would rub it on their eyes. Touch the unclean. He would take the leper. He would allow his healing touch to bring healing to them. Took a woman who, I know she kind of snuck in and touched him instead. Who had that continuous issue of blood. And Jesus provided healing through his touch. And I love the idea of Jesus bringing healing. But I love even more the image of compassion as he genuinely cared for the people who received his touch. By the way, it's an interesting aspect of his role as priest. The role of the priest was to declare an individual clean or unclean. It was one of the roles of the priest. So for Jesus to see an individual who is unclean, for him to reach out and touch them, was it should have been a natural thing. Because in doing so, what he did was he brought wholeness to that which was broken. That which was unclean suddenly became clean, and Jesus perfectly fulfills that role in his day. How do you respond to Jesus' love when it's extended to you? There have been times that each of us, assuming we have responded to God's grace, his salvation, the forgiveness of sins, there have been times when he has reached into our lives, and we have experienced it firsthand. How do you respond when his grace is extended to you? When you experience his mercy and understand his forgiveness, does it then compel you to extend mercy and forgiveness to others? We're surrounded by a world of people that desperately need that compassion and love. It's great we receive it. Will you give it back to someone else? The third aspect of Jesus as prophet, priest, and then as king is found in the Book of Mark, chapter 1. Again, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read portions of it with you. It begins with the introduction of both John the Baptist and Jesus. And it's pretty clear that John's primary role is solely to prepare the way for Christ. He really doesn't have another role anywhere else in Scripture. John the Baptist was created, was called from the very moment of his conception, he had a purpose. He would prepare the way for the Christ. In fact, he says in verses 7 and 8, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist had no other role except to prepare the way for one who would come after him. And that one is Jesus Christ. You know, for years, Billy Graham would operate in this way. Before coming to a city where he would host a great revival, he would send a team of people into the region to get things set up. So that when he got there, the people would be ready. Likewise, if our president 
were coming to town, then he would no doubt send a delegation ahead of time to make sure that everything was ready for his arrival. Everything was secure. Well, that's basically what John the Baptist is doing. But then upon Jesus' arrival as our king, we see his miraculous work take place. Not only is he proclaiming the good news, but he is calling others to join him in his journey. And in addition, we see him healing many who are sick and even casting out a demon. In fact, in verses 21 through 26, we read this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Again, we see Jesus in this passage operating in the role of a prophet. He is speaking in the synagogue and people are listening. They're even amazed at what he has to say. He speaks different from everybody else. The teachers of the law, they speak but not with the kind of authority that Jesus speaks with. Jesus, as he speaks, people automatically are drawn to him. They want to hear what he has to say because it's important. But as he speaks, something unusual takes place. You know, it's interesting to me that this is the first time in the Gospels that we see Jesus casting out a demon. It's interesting that the first time Jesus casts out a demon, it's for an individual in the synagogue. That image kind of cuts to a perception that has existed in our society today. Those who attend church on a regular basis, those who have grown up in the church, we assume that everybody who's in church must be right with God. Yet here we have a man in the synagogue who is actually filled with an evil spirit. Is it possible that many of the people who attend church every Sunday are broken and desperately in need of the intervention of Jesus Christ? This man, we don't know how often he came to the synagogue. It doesn't suggest that this was his first time there. It doesn't suggest that he came only because of Jesus' presence there, but simply one of the people in the synagogue began to cry out, and he was filled with an evil spirit. Is it okay that people are broken who come to church? Let me suggest to you that when it is not okay, there is something wrong with our church. Because this ought to be the place where people find the intervention of Jesus Christ. This ought to be the place where Jesus Christ can genuinely transform people's lives. Now, get this. I know that God can do it outside of these walls. But I wonder today, if a guest were to come in and you could smell alcohol on them, 
Could you love them the way you would love the person who is currently sitting beside you? You see, the reality is this is a place that people can find the intervention of Jesus Christ and ought to always be that way. We need to recognize that just because people go to church, it does not mean that everything is right within them. But rather, many of the people who are here simply are seeking the same grace and hope that many of us have already received. This ought to be the place where they can go. Well, as Jesus spoke, he simply told the demon to be quiet and to leave this man's body. This demon that had overpowered the man left his body, left his body because of the fact that Jesus had a far greater authority than anybody else could ever have imagined. Jesus performed this miracle as king. Many kings had come before him, but none came with the divine power and the authority that Jesus Christ had. Now, I will say this. Obviously, I'm going to question you as I've done with each of these points. But the, the personal side, you're going to have to look at a little bit. First of all, how do you respond to the authority of Jesus Christ? We see him as our king. How do you respond to the authority of Jesus Christ when he instructs, do you obey? Do you worship him as you witness his power? Do you obey him as you submit to his authority, him being in control, you being surrendered to him? But the personal one is this. Do you operate in his power by resisting temptation, repenting of sin and trusting in the gospel? You say, what does that have to do with him being a king? I think that for many in the church, we have settled for a pauper's life and we have forgotten that we have royal blood flowing through our veins. We have settled for a sinful life that is intended for the average, not for those who are children of God, children of the King. And for many of us, what we have done is we have allowed ourselves to still be dominated by the effects of a pauper's life. We still allow sin to remain in us when God says, no, you were intended for something far greater. You are a child of the king. You ought to live like you're a child of the king. We talk about Jesus being our prophet, our priest, and our king. But I wonder today, do we operate in his power by resisting temptation, repenting of sin, and trusting in the gospel? I've given you a small sample of Jesus fulfilling his role as prophet, priest, and king. I just chose three, all from the Gospel of Mark. The fact is that these characteristics are seen all throughout the Gospels. But without a doubt, he is uniquely in this position, as there's never been another who could fill all three of these offices at once. As such, the living Christ still offers hope, love, compassion, and healing even the authority to overcome sin. Do you recognize today the role of Christ fulfilling all of those three characteristics? Do you recognize that in your own life? I wonder, you know, I started this morning with a story about Black Friday. I wonder what would happen 
If the body of Christ genuinely saw Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king, empowering us to go out and to be the light and to bring the word of God to the people, bringing the compassion of God to the people, and yes, even walking as those who are children of the king, not just sinful individuals who are defeated by sin, but those who have been given the victory. How would our world be changed? I began with a question today. Why... If we truly believe that all these things are true, that God still has the power, the authority, why is it that more things aren't happening? I wonder what would happen if each of us genuinely brought the word to the people that we love, our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers. I'm going to tell you, I don't know if They'll be lined up around the corner. That would be really awesome if I showed up next Sunday and saw that. But I'm going to tell you that if we genuinely believe that, every, few, every pew will be filled. Every individual in this community will begin to recognize that there is something far greater worth living for. And it is Jesus Christ. I wonder how this world and this community could be changed if we simply brought the word of God brought the compassion and the hope of God. And we lived out as those who are redeemed children of the King. How would our world be changed? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we love messages about your grace. We love messages about you offering us peace. But at times... We need to be reminded that that message was not just intended for us to take in, but is something that we are now to give out. Lord, I pray today that you would empower your people to truly become your prophets. Those who would bring the word of God to the people of this world. Lord, I pray that we would introduce them passionately to the hope that they so desperately need. Even if they do not recognize it, help us, Lord, to simply be your voice to them. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to offer them an incredible love and compassion as we recognize the brokenness around us, maybe because the sin of others or maybe the loss of a loved one, regardless of what's going on in their lives, allow us to be your hands and feet to them. Help us to walk as those who are not just paupers, but those who are truly children of the King. And Lord, I pray that as we do those three things, that you would give us incredible fruit. Well, we want to reach people in this community for you. And I pray that you would empower us to do so. Use these people. Don't bring in someone else to be able to do the job you've called these people to do. Lord, I pray that you would Empower this church to truly be your light and hope. And we will give you praise for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will tell you, my desire is to see us be a church that truly makes disciples who make a difference. Part of making disciples is us going out and replicating, which means we got to go out and reach those who are lost. 
I hope that you guys will be a part of that process. Thank you so much for being with us. By the way, next Sunday morning is our BYF Sunday, and we have a great treat Dr. Bob Black will be sharing with us, and we believe that he has a message that God has intended for all of us. So please come back with expectant hearts. Thank you for being with us today.